You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet for the show where we talk about everything Coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 184 of season 3, 249 of this podcast. We're almost to 250. I like the number 250. I don't know quite what we'll do just yet, but hopefully we've got some things cooking that you will enjoy in tomorrow's episode. But also today's. Today I want to talk a bit about... Al Gore promising to use satellites and artificial intelligence to identify those responsible for producing greenhouse gases so activists can, quote, hold them responsible, whatever that means. Today is Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. And let's just go ahead and play this clip of Al Gore on MSNBC, shall we? Take a listen. From Glasgow is former vice president and climate activist, Al Gore. Mr. Vice President, first of all, thank you very much for being with us. I know it's, you've got a very busy schedule there, but I, I do wanna get the, your take on the US commitment to combating climate change and how that could be affected by the Democratic election losses. Nancy Pelosi just acknowledged it was a bad, uh, clearly a bad week here for the Democrats. Uh, small Democratic margins in both the House and Senate. Now, isn't it going to be a lot harder to get significant legislation passed? Well, first of all, thank you for uh, having me on your show, Andrea, and uh, thank you for your, your attention to this climate crisis that people gathered here in Glasgow are trying to help solve. Um, you asked about uh, the election outcome in Virginia. Uh, to put it in perspective, you, you know, uh, the the, the candidate of the incumbent uh, president in his first term has, has seen a loss of that governor's seat in every election since 1978, 77. So uh, it, it, history, uh, there's a historical trend here that is partly the explanation for that. And there, there, there's a, a lot that will go on between now and next year's elections. Uh, do you worry that if if the Democrats lose the midterms, that what the president now will have to do through regulation, through executive order, because he didn't get the, the major part of his climate agenda into the legislation that, that they are now proposing, that that will be reversed by the next Congress? Well, first of all, uh, you've strung together two um, hypotheticals, two assumptions that I'm not okay. going to uncritically except he may yet uh, pass a very significant uh, piece of climate legislation. I, I'm not giving up on that. I, I think it may very well pass before the end of this year. And none of us know what the elections next year will hold. But let me say that uh, President Biden had an extremely successful two days here uh, at this conference in Glasgow. He did a terrific job. Uh, the methane pledge, the forest pledge, the opening uh, uh, speech that he gave was really quite impressive. He made a big uh, impression on the people gathered here. 
Uh, and he, he has already taken a so-called whole-of-government approach to putting the United States of America back in a leadership position in helping to solve the climate crisis. And beyond that, Andrea, you know, Mother Nature has been speaking very persuasively to people all over That's the world, sure. including in our country. And a majority in both political parties want to see this climate crisis solved. Recently, 55, uh, on 55 campuses, the college young Republican clubs joined together to petition the uh, Republican National Committee to change its position on climate, lest uh, that party lose a whole generation. And we're seeing uh, business leaders, investors, uh, 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 civil society activists, people across the board saying, okay, we get it. It's time to act. We've really got to stop using the atmosphere as an open sewer. Well, actually, uh, you know, you're absolutely correct. The, the polling is all in that direction. Young people want this change. The business community does. This is all changed. And largely, you know, you've got, you're largely responsible for the change in attitude. Now, you've said that the world is witnessing a sustainability revolution. How optimistic are you that you're going to see the pledges from this summit turn into real actionable change? Well, we are in the early stages of the biggest uh, sustainability revolution in history. You know, last year, if you look at all of the new electricity generation uh, built and installed worldwide, 90% of it was renewable, virtually all of that wind and solar. Electric vehicles are coming on uh, very, very rapidly. Within two years, will be cheaper than their in dust in internal combustion engine counterparts. And the pledges that have been made here have to be kept, but here's the difference this time around. We're going to have real-time monitoring of where the emissions are coming from and who's responsible for them. So uh, companies, institutions, investors, uh, anybody that's made a pledge, they're going to be held to that pledge. And the United Nations Secretary General announced a new institution to monitor and assess all of the net zero pledges from uh, companies and others. and those who don't keep their pledges are going to be called out this time around. So the, the ability to greenwash is going to be diminished quite considerably. Okay. So pausing former Vice President Al Gore, an inconvenient, untruth author, propagator, propagandist, uh, for just a moment, five minutes into his interview on MSNBC, He's coming from Glasgow, Scotland, a meeting of very powerful and very wealthy people from all over the world getting together to decide that it's just time. It's time to save the planet. It's time to make pledges. It's time to make commitments to do these things, to get rid of our fossil fuels, to get rid of our consumption, to get rid of our productivity, to get rid of inexpensive energy. And this is not an original thought to me, but I just can't get over the fact that all of these very wealthy, very powerful people expended a whole lot of carbon emissions to get to Glasgow, Scotland. They didn't walk. They didn't ride their bicycles to Glasgow, Scotland. They didn't 
hop on a narwhal and swim across the ocean. They didn't teleport. Magical, eco-friendly fairies did not transport them across space and time to attend this. They flew in jets, most of them, if not all of them, in private jets to Scotland to grandstand and to discuss how they're going to save, as Mr. Gore put it, our atmosphere from being treated any longer as an open sewer. But all the while, they themselves are the leading polluters where that is concerned in terms of flying in private jets to get there, to attend this conference, to attend this summit. I'm not flying in a private jet to Glasgow, Scotland. I'd love to. I don't have any objections to flying in a private jet to Scotland. I'm from Scotland on my mother's mother's side. I'd love to visit the country someday, at least once. But I do have a problem with the hypocrisy, the rank hypocrisy, carbon emissions for me, but not for thee. And what Gore is talking about as far as holding people accountable, quite frankly, is very ominous. That's a very open-ended thing to say. What do you mean you're going to hold people accountable? Hold them accountable how? And if China makes a pledge or if some big oil and gas company foolishly claims that they're going to be carbon neutral by the year 2030, let's say, for instance, or if some state says they're going to be carbon neutral and their governor's in attendance, if these things don't come to pass as promised because these were unattainable unrealistic, unrealizable promises and commitments, who pays for it? Who pays the cost? Do the folks who have multiple very large houses spread out all over the country or all over the world, who have private jets to spare, to globetrot, to conferences and summits in Scotland, do those people bear the brunt of it or is it common people like you and me? Is it our children who want a better life? Not a luxurious life, but a sustainable life. Using the word sustainable, by the way, is such a evil irony. Because when people like Al Gore use the word sustainable, what they mean is As far as their imagination goes, as far as their plans and purposes go, they want the world to conform to their designs. And if it doesn't, they're going to say, well, that's not sustainable because science. But scientifically, if you cause gas prices to go through the roof, and the vast majority of us are still driving automobiles that run on gasoline or diesel, If you cause the cost of heating our homes in the winter to go through the roof, if you cause the cost of running our computer or our oven or our television 
or our lamp using electricity to go through the roof, that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable for you to make modern life prohibitively expensive all the while you with the wherewithal with the means sit on the upper floors of this Titanic and when it hits the iceberg, you're going to be the first ones in the lifeboats. And the people below decks, well, that's just a bummer about them. You got to crack a few eggs, break a few eggs in order to make an omelet. Future generations, untold future generations will thank us. It'll all be worth it in the end. When we start talking about satellites monitoring precisely who and where is responsible for greenhouse gas emissions, and then you start talking about accountability in vague terms, what I hear is you're going to be doxing people. You're going to dox first wealthy and powerful people who are able to contribute to opposing your radical agenda, your megalomaniacal agenda. And then at a certain point, it's going to trickle down to the common folks, the common people, the people that are not wealthy, relatively speaking, relatively to you, Mr. Gore. You're going to start going after those people. But in another sense, you already have. You already have gone after those people. And we're seeing it every time we have to fuel up at the pump. We're seeing it every time we get an email or a letter saying that our monthly electricity bill is due. We're seeing it every time we go to the grocery store to buy food or clothing. You've already gone after us and you've been going after us for a couple of decades now, actually. An inconvenient truth is a couple of decades old and it really is a sham. I mean, profit motive gets trotted out casually by Al Gore and his ilk as the catch-all explanation for why people in my industry, for instance, in the oil and gas industry, are willing to destroy the planet. Which we're not, by the way, we're not willing to destroy the planet and we are not destroying the planet. But let's put that one on the shelf for a second. Profit motive is actually why you are trying to ram through investment in green energy, so-called renewable energy, so-called wind and solar and hydro are great and they have their place and they have their applications, but they're also very expensive and they're also very resource intensive and they're also not always reliable. That freeze that happened down in Texas last year where a whole lot of the power grid suddenly went offline because it wasn't able to cope with unexpectedly colder temperatures. And all of a sudden people are out of electricity and they're not able to heat their homes. That is what comes of ramming through investment in these technologies in a compulsory sort of way. If you, Mr. Gore, want to invest in green companies like you did right before you trotted out your Inconvenient Truth book and documentary and public disinformation campaign and activist campaign, if you want to invest in supposedly 
green companies, sustainable companies, green companies, and then make it a mandate that everybody purchase products and services from those companies. That's your affair, but you can't deny that there's profit motive. You're not investing altruistically. You're investing in a way that enriches yourself. And the folks you are railing against as treating the atmosphere as an open sewer, as you say, those folks are not less entitled to be concerned about their bottom line than you are. It doesn't suddenly become a virtuous thing for you to make a lot of money on selling electricity or products. It doesn't, it doesn't suddenly become a villainous thing for other people to try to make a profit. That's business. That's economics. In all toil, there is a profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty, as the Proverbs say. You're supposed to enjoy the fruit of your labors, but you're not supposed to bear false witness against your neighbor. And you're also not supposed to covet what belongs to your neighbor. And you're also doing more than just bearing false witness and coveting when you jump onto this bandwagon that's all about wealth redistribution and enriching yourself. You're doing more than just making yourself wealthy and powerful at the expense of others. You're destroying real people, real men, women, and children, and their livelihoods. Some stories we talked about yesterday come to mind where pipelines may get shut down. A pipeline in particular that transports crude from Canada into the U.S., 500,000 barrels a day, the L5 pipeline through Michigan, may get shut down even though prices at the pump, according to AAA, the American Automobile Association, are over a dollar and a quarter higher than they were this time last year. Bank of America is saying oil prices are expected to go as high as $120 a barrel by next summer. If renewable energy were, in fact, so feasible, that would not be the headline. Those would not be the realities that we're facing, even as people are still dealing with reduced hours, are still dealing with supply chain issues, are still dealing with labor shortages and inflation. On top of everything else, you're going to make electricity and fuel prohibitively expensive for not the wealthiest 1%, for the majority, for the poorest people in the world. At just the time when we're trying to get the economy going again, at just the time when we're trying to get back to work and get our companies going again and resume life. The fact that you want to shout down and scold and now even monitor using satellites people who disagree with you, it's evil. Quite frankly, it's evil. Let's go back to the last four minutes of Al Gore's interview with MSNBC, and then we'll wrap up. And your Climate Trade Trace Coalition uses satellites to monitor greenhouse gas emissions. How significant will this technology be for holding countries and companies accountable? 
Well, yes, we, we use the, it's a coalition of artificial intelligence companies and uh, NGOs. We get data continuously from 300 existing satellites, more than 11,000 ground-based, air-based, sea-based sensors, multiple internet data streams, and using artificial intelligence, all that information is combined, visible light, infrared, all of the other information uh, that is brought in, and we can now accurately determine where the greenhouse gas emissions are coming from, and next year, We'll have it down to the level of every single power plant, refinery, every large ship, every plane, every waste dump, uh, and we'll have the identities of the people who are responsible for each of those greenhouse gas emission streams. And if investors or governments or uh, civil society activists want to hold them responsible, they will have the information upon which to base their action in holding them responsible. That's really remarkable. It's been 15 years, though, since An Inconvenient Truth came out. Uh, how much ground have we lost because of inaction and the rollbacks under President Trump, former President Trump, over the past 15 years? Uh, you know, have we, have we lost so much time that we are not going to be able to recover? We can recover. We did lose some time, for sure. But luckily, states like California, New York, New York and a couple of dozen others kept going in spite of the fallback on the federal government's part. And a lot of companies have made pledges, you know, particularly the consumer facing companies responding to their customers, the pledges to adopt 100% renewable energy. A lot of those pledges have already been redeemed. And we're seeing this fantastic shift uh, toward solar and wind electricity, battery power. Now we're seeing green hydrogen developed much faster than anybody thought was possible, uh, and, and we're seeing the, the, the build down of coal in the United States and elsewhere, uh, and, and now the focus is on oil and gas. Oil and gas have been the worst investment in the entire stock market for almost 20 years now, and the green energy companies are coming up strong, uh, and now investors and financial institutions are, are noticing uh, that really they're in danger of a, a subprime carbon bubble of $22 trillion, sort of like the subprime mortgage crisis uh, back in 2007, 2008. They don't want to be left on the hook because a lot of these uh, fossil fuel assets are going to be worthless. Well, it's a fascinating change. Just thinking back to Copenhagen and some of the previous summits, this summit has so much more energy and so much more vitality. So. Um Thanks to you. Thanks to the other leaders there. And it's such a pleasure to see you again. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. Well, thank you, Andrea. And let me say, tomorrow, I'm one of the ones here in Glasgow that will have uh, Alma Powell and her family in our oh. hearts and prayers. Thank you so much. Thank you. We really appreciate that. I know she will and the family. All right. And that's enough. Real quick key in on some of what he said at the very tail end there, given the circumstances, given where we're at right now. Oil and gas companies are the worst investment over the past 20 years. Supposedly, you're going to have a huge bubble of $20 trillion worth of assets that are worthless. He's trying to scare investment away from oil and gas companies and towards the exact entities that he has invested heavily in. 
well, that's maybe in your financial interest, but it's not in ours. It's actually not in our interest. If what Al Gore is claiming were true, again, why would Bank of America be predicting $120 a barrel oil by the summer of 2022? If what Al Gore is saying is true, why would we be hearing that natural gas prices for heating your home through this winter are expected to go sky high? If what Al Gore is saying is true about these other ways of generating electricity coming up through the ranks and being really, really profitable and really feasible is true, why does oil and gas need to be a part of our economy right now still? Why, why don't we all just make the shift right now, immediately? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it's prohibitively expensive. Because the supply is not there. There are two fundamental, incontrovertible dynamics here. One is supply. The other is demand. Supply and demand in relation to one another are where we get our prices from. Unless we're a centrally planned communistic government entity, state. And if you try to fix prices and say, well, they can't go any higher than 60. We like $60 a barrel oil. That's all we're going to pay is $60 a barrel. Well, then congratulations. A lot of companies are just flat not going to produce the oil. And then a lot of people are just flat not going to be able to fuel up their vehicles. They're just flat not going to be able to heat their homes. He's, he says something here at a certain point about battery capacity and battery technology. Well, battery capacity and technology is a part of it, yes. In the sense that it's not always windy, but you can use wind turbines to charge batteries. Insofar as it's not always sunny, but you can use solar panels to charge batteries. And then those batteries become your power supply at night, when the wind dies down, when it gets cloudy, what have you. Battery technology is important. But for the most part, batteries still require electricity and electricity that is generated by fossil fuels. Fossil fuels are an inescapable part of our economy. And there is a cost. There is a cost to voting along the lines that Al Gore wants you to vote. There is a cost to investing along the lines that Al Gore wants you to invest. There's a cost. There's not just a benefit. He wants to only talk about the cost and also exaggerate to an untruthful extent, the cost with regards to fossil fuels, as they're called, oil, gas, coal. He wants to only talk about the cost, and he wants to exaggerate the cost. Like Thomas Edison electrocuting elephants in public places to try and convince people that Nikola Tesla's electricity was unsafe. Al Gore wants you to only look at the cost when it comes to fossil fuels, and he wants to exaggerate that cost. He wants you to only think about the benefit when it comes to solar, hydro, wind, 
Oddly enough, they never want to talk about nuclear. But the trouble there is that nuclear, when done well, when done right, would make electricity so much less expensive that it would lead to greater levels, greater degrees of consumption and human flourishing and growth for the vast majority of people. And that's what the kicker is. That's what is really concerning to these global elites. The wrong sort of people are procreating. The wrong sort of people are having too many children. People like me are having too many children. And they don't like that. They're still stuck on ideas that were popularized originally by Thomas Malthus. We've got to decrease the number of people on planet Earth overall. It isn't first and foremost about how expensive electricity is or is not. You've got to decrease the number of mouths to feed. They don't like Norman Borlaug. They like William Vogt. They don't like increasing the carrying capacity of the planet through technology, through innovation, through science. They like decreasing the surplus population, like Ebenezer Scrooge would say. In fact, there are a lot of Ebenezer Scrooges. Go ahead and die and be quick about it and decrease the surplus population. Good riddance. I can't be bothered. I'm here in Glasgow, Scotland, virtue signaling with all the other wealthiest, most powerful people on the planet. And if you stand up to us, we're going to send activists after you. They're going to show up at your house. They're going to mess with you and make it uncomfortable and disrupt your life until we get what we want. Depending on how you interpret what it is that Al Gore is saying, what we're really talking about is terrorism. And if his claims, his outrageous, untrue claims were true, it would be easy to justify in their minds doing literally anything to save the planet. The people who are producing all of this carbon, emitting all these greenhouse gases, treating the atmosphere as an open sewer, how dare you? Who do you think you are? You can't do that. Where do you get off? You can't do that. I'm going to stop you by any means necessary, by any means at my disposal. And so the very wealthy, the very powerful who are not on board with this, a great many of them will be kowtowed. They will be knuckling under unless we somehow find a way to push back on this agenda. It's a dehumanizing and inhuman agenda. What you're talking about is not saving the planet. What you're talking about is eliminating your competition. What you're talking about is you trying to lay claim to the planet in a megalomaniacal fashion. This is all about power for you. That's what it boils down to. This isn't about saving the planet for future generations. Not my future generations. This is about saving the planet for your future generations. Actually, this is about taking over the planet for your future generations. You know, I've got one last thought, and I'm going to conclude with this. And then I got to go. I got to run, go to work, all that good stuff. You know, I was talking with a friend of mine about the whole COVID vaccine business and how there's this push to get children now vaccinated against COVID. 
And interestingly enough, according to my sources, the COVID vaccine doesn't provoke an immune response in people over 60 or people who are immunocompromised. So the people who are the most in need, we were told through public information campaigns, public health campaigns, propaganda, we were told needed the vaccine the most are the ones who see the least benefit from it or no benefit at all. A placebo effect, I suppose you could say, but no tangible benefit otherwise. Meanwhile, out of a thousand deaths due to COVID, one child. And I'm not talking about a thousand cases. I'm talking about one in a thousand deaths are children. So you vaccinating children is not to protect those children. Statistically, a child's chance of dying, odds of dying due to COVID are practically zero. They're below zero. They're really, 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 really low. But if you're going to force children to get the vaccine anyways, or else take them from their parents, or else not allow them to go to school, or else not allow their parents to participate in the economy, at a certain point, that amounts to a death sentence. You will get this vaccine, or we will destroy you for the common good, for the greater good. I am extremely, extremely disturbed by the casual apathy with which our elites in the media and in government and in corporations dismiss concerns about reproductive health and how reproductive health will be impacted by this COVID vaccine, the COVID vaccines in the long term. In the medium to long term, we don't know. That isn't to say that all the women are going to be infertile, all the men are going to be infertile, that this is going to sterilize men and women forever. But we don't know that it won't. And in the meantime, what we do know is that early on, when the vaccine was first rolled out, there were a whole lot of extra miscarriages, a whole lot of women complaining and still complaining about some very odd symptoms related to menstruation. What if our ruling elites really don't care what the vaccine does to the reproductive health of the vast majority of people on planet Earth because they're getting together in Scotland and it's all they can do to try and figure out how do we get fewer mouths to feed on planet Earth? How do we figure that out? How do we reduce the number of people on planet Earth? Al Gore has made public statements. Bill Gates has made public statements. The people who are all in for climate change for the green energy revolution, for the sustainable future, so-called. They sound an awful lot like the eugenics crowd from about a century ago. They sound an awful lot like the folks who talked very confidently, very arrogantly, and in the most evil and cold-hearted of fashions about who should and should not be allowed to breed. They sound an awful lot like the exact same people who think that Abortion should have no restrictions whatsoever. And you should put 
the most investment into providing abortions on demand for any reason whatsoever in communities where there is the most poverty. Well, then it stands to reason, in my mind anyways, that the same folks who think abortion is good and right and holy ground, as Nancy Pelosi says, the same folks who think that abortion is a sacrament of this modern progressive era might also be very comfortable with pushing an agenda with regards to our economy, with regards to how we produce and transport our energy, with even our ability to reproduce, which has the effect of eliminating future generations entirely of all the wrong sort of folks they don't think should be breeding and reproducing and filling the earth to begin with. It is obvious from the 2016 and the 2020 election that our global elites and the elites in media, in academia, in public health, in nearly every government bureaucracy in America have contempt for the average man, woman, and child. They hold us in contempt as losers, deplorables, bitter clingers to guns and religion. Why would it shock us to find that when they talk about saving the planet, they really mean saving the planet from us? They don't mean saving the planet from the richest 1%. They are the richest 1%. They mean they need to save the planet from us. They need to save the planet from the fulfillment of the dominion mandate that God gave to our forefathers, Adam, Noah, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. They really hate that when we do it. They're godless, except that their God is their stomach. They jet set to Glasgow, Scotland, and they bump elbows with one another. And they talk about how to take the world away from us. If the eugenics sentiment from the late 19th century, early 20th century in America, in Great Britain, and then most famously in Germany, but also in places like China and India, which resulted in a one-child policy, a whole lot of baby girls being aborted, exposed to the elements, left to die. If that same sentiment is at all in the mix when you hear Al Gore saying what he's saying about using satellites to monitor carbon emissions and hold people accountable, should it surprise us? Should it shock us? Should it in any way come as a surprise? No, it shouldn't. If anything, it would be more shocking, more surprising to trace the history of the eugenics movement 100, 150 years ago, to look at the very wealthy, very powerful, very institutionalized figures who promoted eugenics as what was going to save the planet, and then conclude those people all just decided, nah, meh, never mind, temporarily lost my mind, I don't know what I was thinking, forcibly sterilizing people, talking about rounding people up and 
terminating them, putting them down like this is the dog pound and nobody adopted you. Read Edwin Black's book, War Against the Weak, because that's what it was like. And quite frankly, I get an increasingly strong suspicion that that's what it's still like. And actually, a lot of this is just very clever marketing, very clever public relations. We are told that a lot of things which are very, very bad for us will save the planet by people who really want to save the planet from us. They're not saving the planet for us. They're saving the planet from us as they see it. Why would we vote for these people? Why would we give them our money? Why would we invest where they want us to invest? Why would we support the causes that they tell us to support? Why would we believe them? They don't have our best interests at heart. They don't have a moral compass. They don't fear God. They have no fear of God. In their minds, they are the closest approximation to God in the universe. So talk all you want about renewable energy, but what you're describing is so prohibitively expensive and you know it. You know that this is going to destroy people just like the COVID lockdowns did. It was entirely predictable that people thrown out of work in developing countries and third world countries were going to starve to death. We're going to die, literally die. And then you get New York state and California held up as examples of where we have stuck to our commitments, there's the tell. You want an image, you want a preview of what we all have to look forward to if we let Al Gore do what it is that he's got in view. Look to New York, look to California. That's what they want to do everywhere. Banning lawnmowers and wheat whackers that use gasoline to operate. Have rolling blackouts because your power grid can't produce enough electricity. Come up with crazy, ridiculous, draconian, oppressive, tyrannical restrictions on every civil liberty. All the while, it's rules for thee, but not for me. Newsom, most of these Democrat elite politicians, establishment politicians, they institute these mandates. They don't care how it hurts the common person. They claim all the while that this is for your own good. You'll thank us in the end, you stupid peasant. And next thing you know, they're caught on camera, ignoring the very mandate that they put in place for we, the teeming unwashed masses. New York State, you get former, now disgraced Governor Cuomo, me too'd because the optics were just so bad. The Democrat Party... <clears throat> threw him under the bus, even though he represents the vast majority of them. They're no better, but they had to cut their ties. Andrew Cuomo gets asked by a reporter, what do you say to New Yorkers who can't afford rent, who can't afford groceries, who can't afford their utility bills, who can't afford to buy clothes for their kids, who can't afford to live because you won't let them go to work? What do you say to New Yorkers who say that the cure is worse than the disease. Andrew Cuomo sits there arrogantly, ignorantly, dishonestly, disingenuously. How can the cure be worse than the disease when the disease is death? COVID is death. No, 
You liar. You dishonest mountebank. COVID is not a death sentence. From the very beginning, before the masks, before we had any idea of treatments, before you started putting people on ventilators and then they die of the pneumonia, before you start on this track of COVID is death. Stop a second. Being homeless is far more dangerous. Not being able to put groceries on the table for your kids and then being malnourished, that's more dangerous than COVID. Your kid's not getting a decent education because maybe you just don't think that they have a place in the world in the coming decades. You intend for them to have no place in the coming decades. What does it matter? Who cares? We, your betters, have decided we have to save the planet from you, not for you. Of course, they can't say that. They can't say that outright because then the jig is up and then it gets really messy. But if that's not the explanation, and somebody, please tell me I'm wrong. If that's not the explanation, give me a better one. That, to me, makes the most sense of all of the pieces in play. I got to leave it there, though. I need to go to work, speaking of work, putting food on the table, paying utility bills and rent. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.